Everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be discussing the comics of 1994. And as always, well, the idiot boy, Michael, is here. But the good one is on the other side. John, how's it going? That's the first time I've been called the good one. Yeah, well, the the organized, the sensible one. I'm the doofus. Uh, I'm the Jerry to your Dean. <laughs> the Abbot to your Costello. I don't know if those are the right. I don't know which one was Abbot and which one was Costello. So. Uh, I'm trying to think, and I'm not going to be able to. Blue Abbot. So too bad. I think Bud. Bud is the the silly one, the short, fat one, right? Bud. Yeah, Whatever. Doesn't matter. Costello. See, and I think Blue Voice is like the straight man. 42 seconds into the episode, and the idiot boy derailed the whole thing. All right. So, um, usually you go first, but I'm thinking about switching it up. I know people love Marvel more during this era, but I figured, hey, why not get mine? I feel like mine is really slim, and that you might have more time, more discussion. I don't know. I feel like, uh, look at my list. So, are you cool with me going? Go for it. Okay. If not, I was like, you quit. I quit. I cancel the episode. No. <laughs> um... So in general, this covers all comics, but this is the year that basically the whole speculation market starts to really fall apart. The next three years, three, four years are really bad for everybody, especially Marvel. It's shocking they almost went bankrupt and uh, sold their ass to DC. It's so weird. Um, now, I say that the speculation market collapsed. Now, I think a lot of it isn't just the companies that went out. Um but it's also just like the gimmicks started to fade away real quick. Like no more die cut, no more foil embossed. People aren't just buying the first issue of something because they think it's going to sell big. Because looking back on it now, a lot of us were morons for believing that. Because if there's a million copies available of something, everybody has it. There's no there's no hunger for it, you know. And then and all of a sudden you realize you invested way too much money into it. And it was the stuff that was low print, the one that didn't get noticed, was were worth a, a ton of cash. And I feel like they, we see that sometimes. Like, right now we're kind of at the end of the video game, you know, the speculation market for that. It went crazy, like, in 2018, 2019. Were really common games. If, oh, if you had a box, all of a sudden it was worth, like, $400 when it was extremely common. Um, and I, I've heard that the VHS thing is starting to go, too. If you have, like, a sealed copy of... Someone had a sealed copy of Back to the Future or whatever. Uh, it wasn't even, like, the first run. It was, like, the 12th run of it or whatever. It was a free giveaway at McDonald's. And that went for, like, $1,000. And it, I worry about those kind of things because they always have a boom and blast. And then, and then people are just, like, sitting in a room now filled with movies or comics or whatever. And, like, oh, well, there goes my whole fucking fortune. Hmm. I wonder what's a, not sealed, but I wonder what a copy of the original VHS run of Star Wars. Yeah, that one's unique. I believe, I I believe think... if I remember right, it does, it is just, it says Star Wars. It doesn't have episode four or any of that kind of crap. It is literally like original video run. Well, and you're also talking about, you know, pre-changing of the footage. Are the original Star Wars movies even available on Blu-ray? Like, do you have a choice between the special no. edition? Not, not the Blu-ray, but last time it was available, and I actually got the, uh, was they had, when they first put out the special editions on DVD, they had a version that, oh, it comes with the original cut, too. You, you should be able to have that choice. I think that's why it's worth a lot of money. Like, the kind you see where it's like, oh, this is Little Mermaid in a clamshell, and you see where the guy drew, like, a dick on the building or whatever. Like, remember, those were, like, a hot item for a moment. Like, people were talking about, oh, my... It's like, no, that doesn't change the content of the movie. Where I think 
What I think would make a movie worth a lot of money is if there were special features that were dropped from the continuous releases. Because you know how some movies go from label to label? You know, they can drop special uh, features that people liked or Easter eggs or, or a director's cut of something. That's the kind of thing I think would be worth money. But not just, oh, it's Back to the Future sealed. Ugh. Well, nostalgia will do wonders for us. Yeah. And that's what happens with, uh, with our memories of some of these things that happened in 1994. Yeah, and in 1994, the speculation market wasn't really about nostalgia. Now, some of the titles were, like, we're, we're seeing some revivals, like Revamp. Now, the new extreme version of Deathlock, you know, stuff like that. But, um, so the companies that went out of business, they're not really well-known unless you were into independent comics around this time. ARL, no, Aircell, sorry, Aircell, my handwriting's terrible. Continuity, Eternity, Now Comics, those all end. Now Comics is the only one that I read on a regular basis because they did the Fright Night comic. And they did Terminator and The Married of Children and stuff like that. They mostly did licensed. And I think that's kind of what does a lot of companies in is the cost of licensing the rights to stuff, but not putting the quality, in, uh, putting the money into the writing and the artwork and stuff like that. It's easy, easy things that, quote unquote, easy anyway. Things yeah. that they can go and exploit as much as possible. I mean, there's a company that I will probably be talking about unless, you know, it could very well be in, in your notes, too. Um, but they did, like, things like subspecies, prancers, shit. You know? Yeah, known properties are an easy attention getter, but they can't be your whole thing, because that would happen with Tops. Uh, Dark Horse somehow was one of the few companies to do both for a while and have some sort of backup in case because licenses could also have such a, a fast like oh we're really into this now we're not and no one cares anymore and then you, you're still paying for the license yeah because if you've got a contract to do with x amount of stuff so it's either a good idea to get those comics out at whatever quality you can or produce the best damn ones to make all the money in the world yeah. Unfortunately, it's option A that I said was usually the one most people seem to pick. <laughs> the um, so only company only company out of this really uh, of the independent ones to launch and stick around for a little while was Chaos Comics, and we know why Chaos Comics was successful because it was like the most extreme like horror, gore, insanity, uh, big. Uh, elaborate art you know it's the image style like really in your face but also boobs just Lady Death and her yeah. boobs and Evil Eddie and his gore that's what sold and they that carried them for quite a while considering like they were pretty vapid comics it still carries them I a couple of years back at a free comic book day I got one of the uh, you know recent issues of Lady Death that was you know part of the three things that they're handing out I didn't know they were still around. I honestly thought they died out in the early 2000s. No, they're still going. Was there a Lady Death cartoon? I feel like that was a, a big deal for a moment. Like, they were working on an animated movie. Yeah, there was. Uh, and an anime studio put it out, and... I, I think I tried to watch it, because I have no clear memories of ever finishing it. And yet, now that kind of comes off as... Uh, <laughs> Potentially gross, if you think about it. Yeah, it's like heavy metal of that decade. No, no, that was post heavy. That'd be like heavy metal 2000. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot that even existed. Ugh. Um, 
Speaking of animated movies, one that has actually never been released, even though it was apparently completed, was the Gen 13 movie, which was based on the comic that launched this year. I've never read it, but I heard that it was actually pretty good, but what really sold was the fact that it was just really good artwork by J. Scott Campbell. Well, I think it... I know I've read them, and I don't have any real clear memories of liking them or disliking them, but... Campbell does kind of that uh, cheesecake style, which very much, uh, that's what I remember most about it, was effectively ladies in seductive posing most of the time. And I think that's more so what's sold. Not, not, that, not that Scott, Scott Campbell can't write or do anything interesting as he has, but I think, really I think people liked it because he draws pretty ladies. Yeah. And I, it felt like it was also trying to fill the gap that was gone now that X-Force was so fucking self-serious and I just, it was boring because there was a window of opportunity between like, you remember when New Mutants was kind of a horror title, more like the movie, um, but then once, uh, oh shit, what was his name, uh, um, Claremont, right? And um, Claremont stopped, uh, then you had... Uh, Louise Yeah, and it seemed like it was towards the end of her run where she, it was after Fall of the Mutants where it started to be kind of wacky and fun, but also like big adventure stuff. It felt like Gen 13 was trying to fill the gap in there before X-Force took over and was so like full of itself. Well, yeah, it's definitely, it's more of a fun comic than uh, anything like Rob Liefeld would put his hands on. Yeah, and then Gen X has not, Generation X over at Marvel has not debuted yet, has it? Wait, sorry, one more time? Generation X, the the one that was supposed to be like of uh, the mutants, oh, the younger mutants. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that does hit this year. Okay, so it just seemed like it was like there was an idea. It's like it's been a few years since we had any fun with the younger mutants. Let's let's have something like that. I know they're not mutants in Gen 13, but, you know, I can see where the audience would be for that. It was a hot seller for a while. But it always seemed like one of those titles where it would be good for a year or two and then die out. And they tried again and again and again, like Wildcats. Remember that was a thing where Wildcats was going strong for like five or six years, and all of a sudden they just kept hiccuping and going, oh, here's 12 new, oh, we're going to reboot again, 12 more issues, we'll reboot, and just could never find their footing. Yeah, that that basically was such a weird, weird series, too. It's Maybe it's Jim Lee and, and his indecisiveness with what he wanted to do with all the franchises that he owned, because it did seem like that happened a lot. And why eventually he would just sell to DC Comics is it was just too much for him to... But he just wanted to be an artist and create, but being a manager or whatever and trying to guide this universe was something he wasn't interested in doing anymore. Yeah, well, that, that kind of seems to be a thing, is if you're a creative, you may not necessarily be the best with business. Yeah. And so it's, you know what, let's find the person who actually likes doing business stuff and I just want to get back to doing... The um, the Malibu universe, um, I can't remember what it was before that, but there was the Ultraverse, which had been their big like focus, I think in 91 or 92, and they realized that it just it wasn't bringing in the bucks, even though it did, I feel like it had some hype behind it, because there was a cartoon, and there was toy lines and stuff like that, and then I remember there was a Nightman TV show, but they decided that they were going to sell to Marvel, and I always think it's strange that Marvel has done not a fucking thing with this the whole time. Now, well, now Disney owns it, so yet another thing that Disney has sucked up and thrown away. 
Um, what I was reading about this, uh, for my notes, and since we're covering this, all right. Um, the uh, It kind of seems like the reason why they haven't used it, and again, to my knowledge, it's there's only one comic that technically would have even attempted to visit this, and that was Exiles. Because, for Christ's sake, they went to the new universe at one point. Uh, but it seems like the problem with actually doing something with this is that they would have to pay people money. That's not them. Didn't... And so I think that's the reason why, is I think they're hanging on to it until there's some way that they're no longer financially responsible with handing over handing over cash. Then why buy it? Was it just to kill oh. a, competi- a, a competitor? I mean, that's the only thing no. I think of. No, it's, uh, they were the first comic group to do uh, printing on like high quality paper and they had a digital uh, digital coloring system. Oh, so they bought them for the technology, not so much the characters. Yeah, the characters were just there like, you know what, if we if we buy this, we'll gain a higher uh, part of the market share. So, you know, oh, DC wants it? We have to buy it now. Oh, they have a good digital colorist. Okay, well, that is what we're going to keep them around for. Okay. Because it, it, it is a shame, though, because I feel like DC could, or not D- DC, Disney could do something with them. But more it bothers me is the cross-gen, because cross-gen is different than anything else that Marvel and Disney really have. And the fact they've been sitting on it for, I think, almost 20 years now, and not, not done a single thing. It just bugs me when, when this stuff is out there, but not out there. Well, it's also one of the things that kind of killed Malibu was the fact that they had started up a video game company. And really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because it's not that they... They made a couple of games specifically of things like, uh, what was it, like X, X Mutants based on their comic line. They did some like, like the Batman v, uh, Batman Begins, no, Batman Begins, uh, Batman Returns video game and a couple of other titles, but effectively they were just kind of like a courthouse in a lot of cases too. Huh. Like, oh, here's this game that we're going to put on the Game Boy. Oh, here's this one also on the Game Boy. The, uh, I never read the X-Mutants, but that's a really kind of... If it's not a spoof, that is a really obvious title. <laughs> yeah, which is... That was kind of where I was surprised with. I was, I was reading about that because I do remember the X-Mutants. Never read it, but I do remember it existing. And the idea that those are the characters specifically you could probably fold in as mutants. Into the, into the Marvel Universe. Right, yeah. And I remember Badger. I think Badger was one of their characters, and he had a cult following before the Ultraverse took off. It's just strange when that stuff exists. And, like, if you weren't alive at the time, you have no idea. Like, nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about. No, no. This is... I, even then, I remember the Ultraverse stuff, too. And I know I never read it. I think they had a cartoon, didn't they? Uh, yes, it was on USA. That was when USA was trying to get, like, their own independent kind of stuff going. Like, they had Savage Dragon Wildcats, uh, Duckman. Like, they were just trying to, you know, launch their own cartoon stuff because the network started backing off from doing original animation. And they had, yeah, an Ultraverse, at least for one season. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, where I heard the title first, and then I realized it was a comic book series. But, well, comic book world, but... This was around around the time where I started moving away from comics. 
Yeah. There, yeah, there was a break for me, too, and it was around this time. Um, over in Dark Horse, they decided to basically throw away that Comics Greatest imprint line. It wasn't going well. You know, they uh, basically just kept Ghost. Most of that stuff failed almost immediately. Uh, they launched the Legends line, which was creator-owned. Um, I believe this is where Sin City may have come out of. I can't remember, but they had uh, Monkey Man and O'Brien from Art Adams. Uh, Frank Miller had more than just Sin City, though. I remember he had, like, uh, Hard Boiled, Gimme Liberty, I think, was one of them, Martha Washington. Uh, I feel like there's another one in there. But um, I mean, they had John Byrne with The Next Men, Magnola with uh, uh, Hellboy. Um, there was, I think Concrete had come back. Was That was one of the first ones, right, from Dark Horse? Was Concrete by Paul Chadwick? I think so. I think so. I don't know if Bone was launched around this time. I feel like it was a little bit later. But this is like their introduction into a line where it's like, hey, we'll help you launch your own comics. We get to split the sales. But in the end, if you want to leave, you get to take your character with you. And I think Madman came out of this as well. The uh, it didn't last very long because I think by you know like the late '90s everybody decided to go over to Image Comics because they really embraced like uh, owning your own stuff and they had a, a good run of like promotion and, and printing and stuff like that. Um, but it was interesting. I remember that giant head of the icon. <laughs> um, also, uh, Dark Horse Productions finally gets going. The first one is weird to me it was in 1992 it wasn't even based on a comic it was just from uh two of the guys that created dark horse comics and it was called dr giggles and that's a giant piece of shit and it flopped um don't tell me it's campy it, it, it's intention no it's a fucking piece of shit um but they sign a deal uh mostly with universal studios they, they get first look but Anything that they pass on, another studio can pick up, and that's where New Line Cinema comes in with their biggest production yet, and it's The Mask. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm trying to think. I mean, yes, Mask definitely happened. Uh, I'm trying to think if Barbed Wire, if that was this same year in film or not. No, it's, uh, it's 96. So in 94, we have Time Cop, which does stay with Universal because they want it for Van Damme. They have a deal with him. And then The Mask, of course, over at New Line with Jim Carrey. And then 96, one of the... I'm never certain how this works. It's owned by Universal now. But there was another company. Do you remember Gramercy? Yeah, yeah. So they would had Mallrats. They had the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. And then they did Barbed Wire. That's one of their last productions before I think it went over to turn into Polygram. And then just all of it got folded into Universal. Um, and then... We would get others down the line. We got Virus, which is a huge flop. And we did get Hellboy movies. The, I think the first one's from Universal and the other one's from someone else. Um, but that was that was like a production deal they had. And I, I, I don't know anything besides the Hellboy remake uh, that Dark Horse has done. Even though it seems like they had a lot of projects going for a while there. Because Sin City obviously is was launched out of Dark Horse, but they don't own the rights. I don't know how that all worked. But... Um, the mask is really like if you're gonna go big, this is how you fucking do it because it was just it was it felt fresh, um, you know, fresh but also retro because you know we had the whole uh, uh, what do you call it Art Deco gothic look that came out with the Batman movie in '89, and that would continue because of Dark Tracy, or Dick, Dark Tracy, Dick Tracy, 
uh, Rocketeer, Shadow, The Phantom, and stuff like that. But there was kind of like a fun feel to it, you know, especially the swing music and the fact that it had Tex Avery style art with the special effects. But the thing that's so weird about The Mask is the fact that the comic book is a graphic, violent, oh, yeah. you know, horrible, horrible thing. And it's this cutesy cartoon, you know, somewhat dirty, but, uh, you know, just PG-13 dirty. And it's so, such a bizarre thing. Cause I would love for them to remake The Mask and do it like it, you know, like it's a psychological horror film. Yeah. Oh, I can see it happening, like, say, if uh, Blumhouse takes over. Yeah, because that would make it more interesting because, yeah, it's a guy who is, who become, goes out of control based on the powers he's given. And it did start off R-rated. It was supposed to be more horror line. Um, and that's why they hired Chuck Russell, because Chuck Russell had come off of doing uh, the third Nightmare on Elm Street in the Blob. He could really handle special effects, and he could handle like dark, macabre kind of stuff, like humor mixed in with the horror. And I guess just as it kept going along, it just got funnier and funnier, especially when they got Jim Carrey. And I'll say this. If it hadn't been for this, I really don't know where Jim Carrey's career could be, or would be, because fucking Ace Ventura is a piece of shit. I know it made a lot of money, but I fucking hate the first day, Ace Ventura. And The Mask was like, okay, he can act. He's not just improving the whole time and making shit up. He's a normal person, but then when he comes, you know, The Mask, whatever, is when he gets to let loose. Yeah, it's, it was a film that was really built around the, oh, as it came once it came out, definitely built around what Carrie could do with his face. And, and yeah, and it's early animation. What helps is that it's cartoonish. It doesn't need to be photorealistic, and that's why I, st- I think the special effects have aged just fine. Yeah, it still looks really good, again, because it's all over the top and silly, and it exists in a world in which those that cartoonishness does actually fit. Yeah. And in the other movie, uh, Time Cop, I've never read the original comics. Have you? I did, actually. And it's nothing like the movie. Okay. I, f- I feel like it was constantly rewritten and rewritten, like the concept was m- moved to be more uh, away from the comic. Like something like, well, this is Van Damme. And they got Peter Hyams, who was kind of a big-name director and has his own style, and they, and they just kept pushing it. I, I think the movie... Um, has not aged well, <laughs> even though it's his biggest hit, apparently. Um, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. I don't... I, I To me now, it seems more generic. I, I, I prefer more like the crazy stuff that Van Damme would do later. I enjoy this. and I mean, come on. What, sorry for spoilers on this one if you haven't seen this 20 or 30-something-year-old film. But I love the fact that they kill the villain by throwing him into himself. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> and he comes a blob and disappears. It's awesome. The, um... How how is it that he shoots through time in a chair going like nine thousand miles per hour, but then he just hits a button and goes back through a glob? That's the magic of science. All right, there we go. Um, and not a lot of people know this, but it was successful enough to have a short-lived TV show on ABC for thirteen episodes, and it got a sequel straight to video with Jason Scott Lee. Like I don't know, like eight years after this. I have the uh, the series. I think saved on YouTube. I want to see it, but okay. I'm also afraid of seeing it. No, it was fine. I actually quite liked it. The one where uh, uh, Bruce Campbell is a villain was pretty good. Okay. 
I mean, it's what it is from 1997, so it's a lower budget, but it was a network, so it's not like syndicated, and it had decent writing. Sam Raimi, I think, is still involved in the production of that one. I'm not sure. Um, McFarlane Toys launches, and I gotta tell you, for a while there, that was the game changer. That was beyond anything anybody else was doing. I mean, it was slowly getting better. Like, I remember when uh, Starting Lineup came out like, 88 or 89, figures started like oh this actually looks like a human you know i mean it's a little more closer to reality and then there was the x-men marvel toys from toy biz that were better but this this felt like a giant leap forward yeah there's there's definitely a lot of stuff with the toys that uh i never owned but i always you'd see them like the toy stores and you just want to get them because they were so neat looking yeah i had a lot of the horror ones but i had to sell them off when i moved from oregon to california but they were some really nice elaborate well now they have this thing where it's just like the computer designed like it's not an artist it's like a computer rendering to try to get the person to look as much as possible as or the toy to look as much as, per, as the person and that's not as special to me anymore yeah well i mean at the time it was it was the neat thing you could do was to be as photorealistic as possible because you know, at least some of these things just the amount of detail in them is yeah superb. and it wasn't it was the spawn toys first i remember that's what everybody was crazy about they did have the savage dragon license and those were okay but what really blew them up is when they started doing those monster ones from the horror movies and kiss yeah. i remember they had the kiss license as well and that's when all of a sudden everybody's like talking about them and then and then at this point they're like they're effectively the Funkos of uh, of the '90s because they would have all, they had all those all those characters, and everything became. Oh, did you see what the new ones they put out are? Check them out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it just seems like there's like 900 companies now that are competing with them for like high quality sculpts and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting because like 20 years ago, this was like a whole new thing for us. Um. Over in DC Comics, not much really. This is a uh, this is kind of a dip down for them. Nothing really interesting except the zero hour storyline that was a complete fuck up because someone revealed the ending online or something. It, it got and they had to change the villain at the last minute. It was supposed to be Captain Adam, right? We wanted it to change time. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then and then it was Hawk, I guess, became the monarch, and then everybody's like, eh. and it wasn't even that big of an event. I. Felt, if I remember correctly, it was only like two issues, and it just kind of went through the whole uh, timeline afterwards. Like you would get zero issues of well, was, certain comics. It was a, a six-issue. The event itself was six issues. Was it? I swear, I thought it was only two. Huh? Yeah, and yeah, and the way they put it out because I have this, I have the entire actual zero-hour series. I'm wrong. Have, I'm sorry. It's Armageddon 2001 that was only two issues. Yeah, in the case of this, it's... And they had, you know, tie-ins with everything. Yeah. And some, and some comics were really fun because you had, like, in one of the Batman, uh, he's talking with uh, with Superman, and they're talking about their, their previous injuries, and they're not sure what's going on because they don't recall getting their back broken or Superman dying. And it's like, oh, it's two completely different ones, one of which, you know, it's like, which one is actually our character that we're actually following? 
So am I wrong now? Correct me. Did I screw up? Is Armageddon 2001 where they thought it was supposed to be Captain Adam and then it became Hawk? Isn't Zero Hour no. more focused around uh, Hal Jordan? Oh, no. You are, you are wrong because, yeah, there was there was a character. You know, oh, God. I'm trying to remember now. It's, yeah, yeah, I feel like I just it, fucked it, up. It, yeah, it's <laughs> like, it was like Captain. Yeah, it was supposed to be one villain. Then they changed it to uh, Wave Rider, I think. Okay. And it, it made no sense for that. But then, yeah, this is where Hal Jordan becomes, becomes Parallax, yeah, Parallax and uh, destroys and is trying to destroy and return the universe to thing. And the way that the series went down was the first issue that came out was issue five. And it was oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two zero was the finale where he recreates the universe, realizes, you know, that it, things can't work out and set back to where the way it was. But there's always like little catches. And then I remember they started introducing some new characters in the DC universe that never really took off. Like I remember Black Condor, they were trying to push. I can't remember if the Ray already had his miniseries and then they gave him one. They rebooted Aquaman. There's a few others in there. Like Damage, I think was one of them. And, and none of it really worked. Well, that's well. Those were from the previous storyline. That was that uh, Bloodlines thing. Oh they, God, that was the shittiest. The Bloodlines, I think, is the bare, like the the rock bottom of their like crossover storylines. Yeah, because I think I don't think uh, Ray. Uh, I don't think the Ray was created during that. But I think that's where he de- his, his that version debuts. Okay. Is is in that that time, and then they yeah they gave him a series and all that stuff because he does have a part in the. And that whole zero hour crisis thing. I have crisis nostalgia time. for this time period with DC, but not Marvel. And I know it, it's not great, but um, I also like the fact that this is like when they introduce Kyle Rayner, uh, Impulse is around this time, Connor Hawk, I believe, is around this time. Uh, it just felt like it was all, you know, fresh blood. Like just some new characters, interesting takes on. I think this is when Mark Wade also started taking over on Flash and really like gave it life. Where it was kind of floundering before that. Yeah, I'll definitely give Mark Wade's flash run a, a huge thumbs up. But yeah, Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern that gave us the trope of refrigerating a woman. <laughs> Jesus, I'm, uh, that's still the craziest thing I've ever. I, like at the time, my job was just on the floor. Was what's his name, Master Force, or what? Uh, uh, Major, yeah, it's like major, major force, force just like oh yeah I'm gonna stuff your girlfriend into the oven or the refrigerator whatever it was and he does it again later like to his mom or something it was fucked up I, I don't recall if that even happened a second time I do but I do know that I had that issue yeah who no. was who was writing that um, Ron Mars right I think so yeah that was a Ron Mars Daryl Banks run uh, I really love that Ron but um for me, it was like I, I finally had a way into the DC universe during this time because they were introducing younger heroes instead of guys that had been around for 50 years that I had no real knowledge of because I got into DC much later than Marvel. Yeah, that's... Well, again, this is where, like, uh, what guy was it? The, like a sand cover of uh, Costco price club. It was at the time. Uh, would sell bundles of comics... You know, for relatively cheap, you get like you know thirty, forty comics in a in a box set. That's where I had all this stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, I used to get those from J C Penney's for Christmas. They would have, but it was always Marvel. Yeah, this this was always a mix. So it's like I had 
there's a lot of stuff from this year in specific that I clearly remember because I read the shit out of them. This is the second overhaul that DC had done. His first one since Crisis on Infinite Earths. I also feel like this might be the last successful one. Everything after that, I just felt like they immediately pulled their punches. The second was over. Like, oh, we, nope, nope, nope. Like, uh, what was the, the brightest day was supposed to be a massive overhaul too. And they felt like the minute it was done, they were like, oh, we made a mistake. Like, that's what makes me mad now. It's like, I get cleaning up your line every, like once a decade. But then it just became like two or three times a decade. I think they just did it again. I've, I've kind of stepped away from DC. I've stepped away from all new comics. I just don't know who anybody is anymore and what's going on. I don't understand why every every superhero team, every superhero person has to have like 30 versions of himself. You're like, oh, there's more Superman? Okay, there's more Spider-Man? Okay. Yeah, yeah, comics, it's all about uh, quantity. Again, they're trying to... Brand. You know, they're trying to get their bets. Yeah. All right, um, I am done with... Oh, I want to say real quickly... Um, I actually quite like Connor Hawk as the Green Arrow because he's introduced this year. Um, I don't think he takes over the mantle for another year, though, but I really enjoyed, like, he was a complete solar opposite of his father, but he just never connected with the fans, and I thought that was a shame. Well, it was a stick in the mud. I know, but I thought it was fun when he was with, like, Green Arrow and, or Green uh, Lantern and stuff like that, where, I, I don't know, I, I enjoyed uh, his character. Um, it, it's all about Ollie. Well, okay, if we're going to go sip into Marvel, uh, around this time, Marvel ended up abolishing the position of editor-in-chief and replaced Tom DeFalco with five group editors-in-chief. Is that a good so, idea? I feel like DeFalco really took them through a great era. Is it because of the speculation collapse? Yeah, it, basically it's the idea that okay, we're going to have someone who's in charge of just specific lines. So you had, uh, you know, Bob Harris was running X-Men. Uh, Bob uh, Budinsky was uh, doing Spider-Man. Uh, Mark Grunewald had uh, the just kind of a, general, a generic Marvel Universe, so like the Avengers and shit like that. And then Marvel Edge was... Uh, Bobby Chase, and then there was Light Curl Pops had the licenses. What what is Marvel Edge? I don't remember that. I tried I tried to find something that showed me that, so I'm thinking that was a little more mature or stuff. Oh, it's like the horror line, like uh, Spirits of Vengeance and stuff like that. It seems like it. Okay, um, okay. So yeah, because I know they didn't have like uh, any of their. Uh, the adult, you know, Max or anything like that at this time. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense because when DeFalco was really in his prime, I mean, they really didn't have the new universe yet and he wasn't looking over Star Comics at all. So he had a very tight streamline, maybe at most 15 comics. But, you know, during this era, I think we had like 40 or 50 titles from Marvel. This is right before their bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, this, it makes sense because you have you know, at the very minimum, four core books for both X-Men and uh, Spider-Man, plus then little incendiary ones as well. Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot to cover in those two areas, whereas everybody else is just kind of bending for themselves. So it's kind of a good idea to have someone 
who's just specifically dealing with, okay, you just deal with the X-Men shit, keep them making us money. Right. I mean, just think about trying to understand all the timelines that are going on and all the storylines and stuff like that, and that they're not bouncing into each other and ruining things from the other comics. So yeah, um, I can imagine DeFalco might even just been like, "I'm on the verge of quitting. This is this is insane. I can't do this." Yeah, I, yeah. It's like trying to keep trying to keep this stuff straight, especially with the X Men stuff where Scott Lobdell is kind of running running their general storyline. And he's trying to be Chris Claremont and seeding things in, except he doesn't know what these seeding things are actually going to be. Uh-huh. So he just sets up something and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll figure what that might be later. That's why we, the whole idea of the X Trader, the person who killed the X Men in Bishop's, you know, in Bishop's timeline. Who is that? Who is that? Oh, it's going to be Gavin. Oh, it's going to be this, you know. Oh, it's Professor X because he's Onslaught because we needed to figure out what that was supposed to be. <laughs> so it's kind of like Lost, where he had an idea but not how to you know finalize that idea. Yeah, it's instead of he wanted to have you know he wanted to have storylines that he could pull from like Claremont did, but Claremont at least had a generalized idea of where he was going in storylines. So he would play, place those pieces. Now, granted, there were entire things that he forgot about that had to be reminded existed but at least he had a general idea I'm building an epic story and Lobdell was I'm writing a comic <laughs> but uh, let's see Oh, the other thing of Marvel's business poor business decisions in the 90s they went and bought the distribution company Heroes World I don't know that one oh this yeah they basically took a like the third largest uh, comics distributor and pulled them into just distributing their comics okay I mean completely said like oh yeah we're gonna pay you to do this as exclusive it's no we're just gonna own you outright okay so wait when you say just dist- oh, so it's like diamond is now or is diamond still around diamond is still around okay. diamond is now the only one because of this because along with all the things that uh, could go wrong Heroes World wasn't actually designed to carry the amount of stuff that Marvel was shipping at the time. Oh, no. So, orders were messed up and late, and it started hurting the, uh, the comic stores, because, you know, they're not getting what they ordered anymore. And they can't ship these things out in a meaningful way. And the market itself is now businesses that were dealing with Marvel that were supposed to be, you know, handling, oh, we got the X, we're the ones who just distributed the X-Men comics, or, you know, or these ones now aren't getting the Marvel orders. So they're going under. Yeah, and well, so- also, you have to think about the fact that also the stores are now starting to go out of business. The ones that, you know, came up in 1990, 91 or whatever just because of the speculation market. Now they're going out of business, so it's killing their distribution that way too because no one's buying them. Exactly. And that's kind of what caused... I mean, there was a... In a general sense, there was a comics collapse in and around these times. Uh but Marvel, especially, as, as we kind of mentioned before, ended up going bankrupt. And it's this is the year where this basically their house of cards started to fall. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also know the story behind Ron. I think it's Lou Perelman, the guy who owned New World uh, Pictures. 
and other and Revlon and stuff like that. He would load. He would buy a company, load it up with debt from other companies that were failing, and it was just this domino effect. Like New World Pictures fell apart, New World uh, Television fell apart because he would take the debt from one company and load it onto another, thinking that was okay. It was this weird shuffling of debt that would destroy a company. Toy Biz, same thing. Yeah, I know that. In the case of this, though, it's not necessarily that they wanted to create a debt into uh, other companies or even their own. They were just, you know, why are we paying someone else to do this? We can do this ourselves. Right. What, what's the easiest way to do this? Create, you know, build a build the thing from the ground up with us, our product in mind? Hell no. Let's <laughs> just buy someone else. It's the American way. <laughs> Let's see. So couple of uh, series began this year. We got a uh, new Blade series, a War Machine series, and Forceworks. Do you remember Forceworks? Barely. Is that somehow the Avengers? Or Iron Man or something like that? Both, actually. Uh, and around this time, Iron Man quits being an Avenger because Tony Stark's a dickhead. And the Avengers West Coast broke up because... They suck. <laughs> I, so, I liked them in the beginning, but yeah, towards the end they're like, "Oh, we got nothing else to say." Pretty much, so, you know, all the all the stuff they kind of wrote them into a corner, and then uh, we we spoke about like the, the final issues there. Yeah, in like the last show, but yeah, so Iron Man swoops in with kind of the remnants of West Coast Avengers and creates Force Worlds, and they're basically just X Force. They're out to prevent things, you know, preactively uh, destroying things and uh, taking out the bad guy before they could actually be a problem. Right. It kind of like the way Justice League had at the same time they had Justice League Strike Force. Yeah, so and it, it ends up, it's only there's like 22 issues, and in it, the reason why Iron Man's been a dick is he's controlled by King the Conqueror, and, you know, comics bullshit happens. It basically, I ask if you remember it mainly because... Who the hell remembers this one? Um, I'm looking it up right now, and I'm embarrassed that I owned uh, the first volume. <laughs> I had the trade paperback like five years ago, and I totally forgot until just this moment. Whoopsie. Oh, man. Yeah, it, I, I did read them. I, with, I got the Marvel Unlimited app. I've been going through comics, uh, trying to you know find all kinds of random stuff that I've never read, and... Wow. Horse words. No bueno. Yeah, no. Same thing for I, Secret Avengers. I had that too, and I was like, it's not much better. Yikes. Let's see. Uh, have you heard of Clandestine? I remember it, but I never read it. Yeah, it's it's a really good series. Uh, Alan Davis uh, created series that lasted 10 issues and had a two-issue X-Men crossover a couple of years after its ran, run ended. Mm-hmm. The funniest thing about this, Davis wrote the first eight issues, left the book, one guy came in, did the last two issues before it got canceled. When Davis came back to do the uh, little crossover special a couple years later, he just retconned the guy's work. <laughs> it was a bad dream. And, but, I bring this series up uh, basically, it's a series about a series of superhumans, uh, the entire family of them, that have extremely long lives, and I've been hiding amongst us in secret. And 
they're trying to keep you know keep everything undercover because reasons. Uh, I bring this up because they actually made their debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really? Yep. Where? Sort of. It's in uh, Miss Marvel. They're the villains. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. So. Uh, well, and again, this is a very loose, loose thing. They they call themselves clandestine. Uh, they are led. They're they call themselves Jin, which the mother figure that we only see in flashbacks was a Jin that uh, the father character in this in this family rescued, uh, died rescuing, and was granted immortality uh, by this Jin, and they got married and. Had tons of children and blah blah blah, <laughs> and then he goes off in space in a sixties uh, via a uh, VW bug, or not bug, uh, minibus. He's in a minibus. Okay. Out in the middle of space because comics. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, when I heard them call themselves that and they mentioned Jin and all that stuff, I'm just I started laughing my ass off. Like, my fiance's sitting next to me watching Miss Marvel, wondering what the hell I'm on about, and they're going, they're bringing in clandestine for whatever reason. I did not see this coming. But I would recommend trying to find the series. It is on Marvel Unlimited. I remarkably found a copy, uh, a copy of the book of it. Oh, nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was the Captain America Fighting Chance uh, run. Is that where he loses his serum? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, the, the Super Soldier serum uh, starts to starts to fade on him. So okay. he's be- weaker and weaker. And, you know, the idea is, oh, is Captain America going to, you know, quit? Is he going to let these new, new vigilantes take over and have a graceful retirement? And the answer is no, because he's Captain America and he's going to beat the bad guy until he can't beat the bad guy anymore. Unfortunately, this is what led to his power armor. <laughs> Not when he turned to a werewolf? <laughs> no, we already talked about that. that that's oh, awesome. was that? Okay, I this, thought that was coming up. This is him wearing a suit of armor that's like a cross between a lightbacker and Iron Man. Oh, remember when his nose, that stupid nose piece? Oh, God, what an ugly-ass design. That is this costume. It is... It will also, in this run, he gets cable... He gets cable costume. All those useless pockets filled with shit. He's got one of those little action vests that he's running around in it. Lame. So lame. Yeah, it is. It is bad. Let's see. A couple of things, uh... In uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, Rick Jones has his wedding to a woman we discover made a porno. Or at least a stag. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And it is it is kind of a messed up issue in general, but uh, what's funny is the wedding issue that comes after it has one of the strangest cameos, and it's death from the Sandman comics. Really? I didn't... Huh? Was it because uh, the you know the, the, they're friends with Keith David, and that's why? I I have no idea. It's just such a bizarre thing. I mean, you never you don't see it from the front, but it's a very unmistakable back, and you know just kind of attitude of the character. Hmm. That's just like you would it's like it is 
it's so bizarre because it's just like I guess and I guess it's at some point this uh, Rick Jones's bride almost died and she mentioned something about you know let, not letting her not decide not to take her or something like that right I remember that this is when uh, they were part of the Pantheon correct or is that already ended yeah I think this is yeah Pantheon is going on at this okay. point in uh, 475 uh, Thor we get the retcon of the uh, Donald Blake identity because all of a sudden Thor comes across Donald Blake frozen in time like he's you know, striking that little staff to the ground which uh-huh. summoned which summoned Thor originally he's making that motion the you know the stick that became Mjolnir is not in his hand but all of a sudden he's awoken and Donald Blake is now real <laughs> or Thor was never actually Donald Blake he just thought he was he was wearing a mask it opened so many interesting questions that then they mm, I think they take too long to to actually do anything with and then I think that's what Ragnarok happens oh okay oh no, no sorry no not Ragnarok I think that's it's the uh, it's Onslaught not Ragnarok at that point Oh, right, when they killed off the Avengers. Right, I remember that. Yeah. And we also get Thor in a new costume. It's not his terrible late 90s uh, uh, bodybuilder strappy thing. (laughs) But it is still not a good costume. No. Let's see. uh, Marvels. With the uh, Alex Ross art. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, basically it's a retelling of the Marvel Comics world from like the 30s through the 70s, and it's all through the eyes of this reporter. And I think it's a poorly written comic, but you can't fight that Alex Ross art. Yeah, it's uh, truly jaw-dropping. What is it? Busiek wrote that, right? Which is kind of weird yeah. that he would write something so underwhelming. Well, it's, it's a beloved series. I'm just a weirdo. You are kind of weird. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's it's more captions than it needs to be. It's like it's like a Ben just at his worst at times. Okay. But yeah, the seeing like the rise of the original Human Torch and World War Two and the Fantastic Four and X Men, especially like I think there's the image of him seeing Angel in the sun, and it's just you know it's like that one of those. Renaissance painting. Mm-hmm. Is this this is basically when his coming out party, right? Because we knew him from doing. He had done the Terminator comic books, but they weren't like the same kind of artwork because they were done on a monthly basis, real fast. What? Uh, I, I mean, is this the first time that people really? And then it became after that he was like a legendary because all you know everybody's crazy about Kingdom Come, and then he was just getting an insane amount of money for just cover art. I just remember that was a big deal, and he did those giant treasury size. So I feel like this is where Alex Ross really became like known in the industry. I think so because I haven't. If he had done something else that was as well, you know, as quote unquote legendary and stuff, I think we would have spoken about it. Right. So yeah, I think this is like the first time you really saw what he could do. And let's see, I'll skip over that one and go to. This is this is a kind of a long one, but Spider Man. Uh, we'll begin with Spider Man's three eighty eight and uh, Amazing Spider Man three eighty eight, Spider Man number forty five. 
Okay. Which is the end of a thing called Life Theft and the beginning of a story like called Pursuit. Uh, around this time, Peter Parker's parents came back to life. Oh yeah, this is right. Uh, this is right after I bailed. I bailed after Round Robin, which is what ninety one, ninety two, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, his parents. Oh, we weren't dead. We were actually in hiding, or I, I forget what it was. We were in prison. <laughs> Sorry about your trauma, kid. <laughs> yeah, and so and Aunt May ain't buying their bullshit, but you know Parker's there and is is all you know. Yay, my parents are alive. Suck it, Batman. <laughs> and so, it turns out that they're actually robot duplications made by the chameleon. And they're there to really finally suss out who Spider-Man is. He's, you know, chameleon is 100% certain that it has to do something with Peter Parker. So let's fuck with him to get Spider-Man. And I, I looked, I was reading it, and I did not retain whether or not he actually learned that it was Peter Parker or not. But, you know, one way or the other, Spider-Man's, the identities are confirmed, his parents die again. <laughs> Jesus. And Parker goes off on a revenge kick against the chameleon. I bring this up in a way because this is a prelude to more clone bullshit, which yeah, would be... Yeah, yeah. The Spider-Man Clone Saga. Oh, boy. Which, okay. I never read it, so I don't know if it's shit or not. Uh, apparently it has oh. a following. Well, okay. I, I don't hate it. I don't think it's a particularly good story, and you'll hear, you'll understand why once you once we get into it. But uh, I like the Ben Riley character. I think he, it was a very interesting idea and a, a decent way to uh, re, uh, basically reboot the Spider-Man franchise. And you know what? Considering what they did to simplify the mythos afterwards with Mephisto removing everyone's memory of him so Aunt May could not die from an assassin's bullet, this would have been a better way because let's just let Parker go off and live a happy family life instead of, yeah. instead of the bullshit they did there. But Spider-Man's clone was thought to have been, have been destroyed back in the 70s. Nope, he's been running around as a guy named Ben Riley. And he comes to New York, decides to become a superhero, becomes the Scarlet Spider, and just is a pretty decent hero. That's what shit becomes very comic booky. Because the bad geneticist, the Jackal, returns, and he decides that he's just going to do all kinds of clones everywhere. <laughs> I remember, yeah, he brought uh, Gwen Stacy back. Yeah, he brings back Gwen Stacy. We find out, oh God, how many spy, how many Peter Parker clones are there? Ben Riley, Kane, Spider Side. Figures uh, uh, another one in there. So there's at least four Peter Parker clones running around. Uh, at one point, it's determined, and this is where the reboot would have happened, that Ben Riley was actually the original Spider-Man, and Peter Parker was a clone. Oh, no, there had to be a... There was, there was also the, the original ones, the uh, skeleton, skeleton, so... Five clones of Peter Parker. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. You, but you can start seeing where the problem of this storyline lies. This was not meant to go as long as it did. 
it uh, it initially sold really well. So Marvel decided to tell everybody to stretch it, stretch it out, keep it going, add more clones, maximum clonage. Oh you know, God, I remember that. <laughs> Jesus. This thing. And the worst thing that ended up happening, although I. I can accept it because they at least bullshitted their way into it making sense was the, um, the person who's actually doing all of this, manipulating everything behind the scenes was Norman Osborn who had been dead since the seventies. Yeah. All of a sudden it's revealed Norman Osborn's alive and he's been manipulating Spider-Man's life for a while. And so, you know, the idea of, okay, the Goblin Serum actually brought him back. And then he's just, he was rich, so just, he went to Europe. And then had sex with Gwen Stacy and had her children, and she had his children. <laughs> yeah, comics. Exhausting. Honestly, exhausting. But, but, but overall, this, if this storyline, and they have done it since, in a condensed version of what they kind of originally intended. And it's it's a good idea. I like Ben Riley. They brought him back as a villain a long time later. And it was a very good, you know, very good continuation of the clone saga. Yeah. And then he became a hero again, I believe, and then he died. Oh boy. And now he's back again, I guess in a very something literally running right now. As a villain again or something. That is annoying and exhausting. Jesus. Yeah. But let's go to the more annoying and uh, exhausting line. <laughs> X-Men. We have the wedding of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Which uh, was a pretty big deal. So much so that they had an actual fashion designer design a fake wedding dress. Oh boy. That's a lot of stupid money. Yeah, they they had the money to burn at the moment. Probably should have uh, made better business decisions than that. But... Maybe, maybe. But you have that, and that led into the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, where on their honeymoon, because it's X Men, nothing can go right, and their their consciousnesses are pulled into the future to raise baby Cable. And it's basically the, the Cable backstory, Cable Strife backstory. And of the three storylines that are based around this, this is the only good one. Okay. Because you have this one, uh, there's the Cable series that follows it. Uh, Ascani, Ascani's son or something like that. And then there's also the further adventures of Scott and Gene, Phoenix, whatever it is, where they go back in time. And they deal with Mr. Sinister in the past. And it's shitty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see. We can also get X-Factor 100, where we have the death of the multiple man. Didn't he come right back, Jamie? <laughs> yes, in a way. <laughs> so we had, we had the first major death, which was Ileana Rasputin. And now it's a hero. We've, we get Death Fall, who's he's been tricked into thinking that this uh, mutant messiah type character named Haven is going to heal him, 
and it doesn't work, and he dies. And it's a really, <clears throat> this issue's really, really emotionally charged. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, ultimately it proves that, you know, he wasn't actually the real one. He was just one of the dupes, and he was alive and well and just kind of <laughs> doing whatever it is that local uh, men do when they're not uh, fighting crime. Yeah. The, um... This is after Peter David rebooted, right? When it had like Guido and stuff, and, and oh, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, this, this, yeah, this is part of the Peter David run. Okay, just checking. And I'm only gonna go with one, not too deep, but X Force and New Mutants crossover child's play. Uh, <clears throat> New Mutants, because New Mutants has been done for a while, right? New, uh, I think New Mutants meant New Warriors. Oh, okay. But uh, there's there's a group of villains called the Upstarts who are while they are super villains and you know a lot of them have powers really they're just shitty rich people <laughs> i did and, not expect that <laughs> and, and their entire thing is basically having games where they like capture or kill uh various younger characters in the, in the marvel universe usually are based around the x-men but the current one is they're gonna go and capture these uh the, the new mutants of the X Warrior uh, X Force characters now. God damn it, new warriors and X Force. <clears throat> anyway, it it's not a good. It's not a particularly great story, but it did do one thing. There was a character on the villainous team, the Mutant Liberation Front, at this time called Boomstar. Okay. Her she has strikingly similar powers to the former New Mutants character Danielle Moonstar. And for some reason, she has a code name that is just Danielle Moonstar's last name. And we discover in a shocking reveal that she is actually Danielle Moonstar. Huh. A character kind of been forgotten by this point. Yeah, because she had, she had left, uh, stayed in Asgard at, during like the like issue 85 of New Mutants. Mm-hmm. And so New Mutants had, had run to issue 100, and then I forget how many... Like they're in the teens at least. So you're going a couple of years at least, in real time anyway, of of this, and all of a sudden, yeah, the character that we had already assumed was Daniel Moonstar takes off a mask and shows us that that's who she is. Crazy. Yeah. I, that's this is the kind of Scott Lobdell reveal I'm talking about. You know, you'll see something, and in the case of this just the dumbest most obvious fucking thing ever <laughs> and then finally thinks that it's going to shock us when he makes that reveal but okay uh this is a this is going to be a prelude to the big x-men event and that's excalibur 78 i think it's 78 89 80 okay 78 79 80 uh it's the return question mark of doug ramsey oh wow cypher a character i i don't think anybody really cared about but yeah, he, he died in, in like quite a while ago, and all of a sudden, he seems to have been brought back as a weird robot man who kind of looks like Warlock. I remember that. Yeah, Douglock, right? Exactly. Okay. And, you know, and you have this whole storyline that, uh, you know, the Kitty Pride who was in love with Doug at the time, you know, you're now getting this shocking reveal of her dead te- of a dead sort of teammate you know being this you know 
having returned and is now just a weird bumbling robot guy. Hmm. And it is, it is end up, uh, we are years down the line. We learned that he is actually Warlock who just has Doug's memories. And the, the one thing I want to have to say about this storyline, aside from giving us Doug Lock, is it has the most petty bullshit from Strife. Because we learned that, that this robot that he used to roll around with named Zero, who had kind of gained sentience and a conscience, actually has all the information of the legacy virus stuck in his brain. Okay. And could cure the legacy virus. And instead, Strife basically gives him true sentience, traps him in a, in a facility, and then blows it up. Just to be a petty dickhead. Because... Huh. You know what? Not only am I not going to, you know, obviously not going to uh, give anybody a cure to my virus that I put out there, I'm going to make sure the one person who has it knows that he has it and knows he's not, <laughs> knows he can't do anything about it. Comics, there's some fucked up stuff in this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but this is. This issue, and there's random stuff that happens prior to this in X-Men, but this is all the lead-up to the Phalanx Covenant. I can't remember if this... No, no, where I I, I walked away for a while because I thought the Executioner... The Exe- oh, yeah, Executioner's song is so bad. Yeah, some of the artwork was just truly hideous, and the storyline was ridiculous, and I kind of just said, nah, I'm good. And that's the thing. This is, an, it, this is a lot better than I remembered liking at the time. Because part of it is it's told in three parts. Like, kind of like how Inferno was, in the sense where one group of characters is dealing with one aspect of the story, another group is dealing with a different aspect, and there's never any real meetup of any of these people to overall fight a big bat or anything. Mm -hmm. Because you have, uh, on one side of it, the, uh, basically what is the phalanx are an offshoot of a alien race called the Technarchy that Warlock was a part of and they basically get into organic living things uh, infect them with their virus and then pull, uh, pull the energy out that way and that's how they feed okay. and, and so effectively they can possess people as well the only thing they can't do is mutants so they decide, you know, well, we some some decide that they're going to bring the technarchy to Earth, while others are trying to figure out how can we actually eat mutants better. And so they kidnap the next generation of mutants. And so that's uh, so one sort uh, storyline deals with like Scott, uh, not Scott, uh, oh god, not Forge, Emma Frost. No, no, sorry, not Forge. Banshee, Emma Frost, and a couple of other people who are trying to go and track down the next generation of mutants, save them from their prison. Uh, Forge and I think it's X Force uh, are dealing with the the people who are trying to get uh, bring the technology to Earth, and then Cable and Wolverine are rescuing all the X Men who have been kidnapped. And in three completely different storylines. And yet they somehow balance out really well. It actually is an interesting story overall, just not well constructed. Okay. And then, but yes, from that from that thing, we got the Generation comic, which was the uh, 
the new mutant, uh, the new new mutants, and it's a big big mix of uh, superhero bullshit and teen melodrama. Yeah, I don't know. I remember really liking Generation X. Do you remember that shitty TV movie though on Fox? Oh yeah, I remember it. <laughs> uh, my, my thing is, I did not get into this one either. I think it's it's mainly because I don't like uh, Chris Pacello's art. Oh, see, I was a big fan of it, so. Yeah, I just, it it doesn't do anything for me. But uh, the last thing, and this is just a beginning storyline. We'll talk more about it next next uh, episode. But Legion Quest begins. Where don't the remember state that is, at all. Well, yeah, it's probably a very important uh, storyline for what it does. Um in it, Mystique is hunting down Legion, the uh, son of Charles Xavier. Okay, yeah, yeah. Person, and the person who is responsible for the death of Mystique's wife, Destiny. And he's she's going around and <coughs> sorry, next week go out to stop her. And that's where we're gonna stop with that story. But it leads it, it is the prelude to a Something that really should have lasted longer, in my mind. But also, I'm glad it didn't last as long as it did, because everything it did to continue it afterwards sucks. And that was the Age of Apocalypse. I don't know if I like Age of Apocalypse or not. I remember at the time I was crazy for it, but now, eh, not so sure. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that, because that, that's the big 95 thing. Yeah. For, for really, for anything. For anything that Marvel did, that was the biggest story. But uh, that is a '95 thing, and not a '94 thing. We just we just get the beginning of Legion Quest. Not not the not literally not what Legion Quest does. Right. Because holy crap, what it does, I want to talk about it next time. Okay. <laughs> is that our episode, or do we have more? That is our episode. Wow, that is. Woo! Take a breather, kids. Take a breather. It's exhausting, I know. <laughs> Alright, that is it. Uh, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I have nothing at the moment. Cool, neither do I. You know where to find us. We'll be back uh, soon with the video games of 1994. And thank you for listening. Have a good one, guys.